0: Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willette. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Father, we just pray for just your kingdom to come. We thank you that um, this is an open heaven, that we are living under an open heaven, um, we just thank you, Father God, for your sweet presence and worship today. God, I just thank you for every person here, every family that's represented. God, I know that you love and care for each person that's here so, so deeply. So, God, I just pray that each person here would have a, a deeper encounter with your love this morning. We just know your love is overwhelming, it's so much bigger than we can imagine or think. It's so big. And I just pray that we just have a deeper insight into what your love is for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just had to get my coffee. All right, the title of the message today is Transformational Love. Transformational Love. And I'm going to share three stories um, that illustrate the transformational love of God, and they're all found in Scripture. And before I get into it, I did want to say, um, Joy is, is home today. She's She actually wasn't feeling good yesterday. She's feeling better today, but she's like, I'm just going to be careful. I don't want to pass anything to anybody. So she's at home. <coughs> I always forget to say that, and then she gets mad. She's like, why didn't you tell everybody? So covered, I'm covered. Joy, we're covered it. So I wanted to start today and just share a little bit about um, some of the evangelism experiences I've had um, before we get into uh, talking about the three stories in the Bible about transformational love. Um, One of the things that I've been doing in evangelism and a lot of us have been doing is um, we're just asking people like, you know, we go out in two, so we just go up to people and say, hey, we're just asking people um, what they believe love is. And I've just found it to be a great conversation starter, and it gets people talking. And also, you get to hear their heart about what love is, and then it gives you an opportunity to share the love of Christ and to share what you believe love is. And um, what what I've realized in doing this now, asking probably hundreds of people this question, um, you realize right away that if people don't have Jesus, they really don't have any idea what love is. They really have no idea. And some people get really... Um, like they just, they have this epiphany in that moment that they're like, I really have, I don't know. I don't, I, I mean, it's like, it's a feeling. It's this, it's like, but you know, it's, it's interesting. This, it's kind of been like a spiritual experiment as we go out and, and we do these things. And it's interesting to see that if, if you don't have Jesus, you really don't know what love is because Jesus is love. And that's what we get to say in evangelism. I say, I believe uh, love is actually a person. And there's no way that we can actually understand love without knowing the person of love. And by this time, they're like, probably thinking, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I say, the person of love, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he came to the earth 2,000 years ago. Imagine the humility of God. He left heaven. He became a man. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a barn. He was born in a stable, laid in an animal's feeding trough. Imagine, look at the humility of God. Left his glory, born in a barn. And I I share this with them. God came to the earth humbly as a man. He became a man. He said things like, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, greater love has no man than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. And then he went to the cross. He did this. And when he hung on that cross and was crucified, he took all of the sin of the world He took your sin. He took my sin. There's things in my past that I'm ashamed of. But when I received Jesus, all of my shame, all of my guilt, all of my sin was washed away. It was put onto Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll take all of your sin and I give you all of my righteousness. And then he didn't stay dead on that cross. He raised up. And after three days, he came out of the grave and he's alive and he's here right now. And as I'm sharing this, I can feel the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling them he's alive and he's here right now. And you can feel the Holy Spirit's presence. And it's just an awesome segue. And so many times I'm like, do you want to receive Jesus right now? Yes. <laughs> it just surprises me, you know, how easily sometimes people are just ready to receive Jesus. So for me, evangelism is, is about this. It's about sharing the, the radical love of God. That's why I love that question, what do you believe love is? Because it opens the door for me to share what I believe love is. And it's, it's Jesus. It's what he did for us. That's the definition of love. And it's impossible for us to understand love without knowing what Jesus did for us and without receiving it for ourselves. So when you share Christ with someone, you're inviting them to open the door of their heart and let the person of love in. Then they can actually start to understand what love is when they let the person of love in. I love there's this uh, evangelism tool that I think it's uh, Brianna Scott. Where's Brianna? Wave your hand. There you go. Sorry, right in front of me. Where you always sit, right in front of me. Um, but, yeah, I think it's Scott that he uses, the, uh, he uses this picture and it's, um, it's a picture of Jesus knocking on the door of our heart. And there's no door handle on the outside. There's only a door handle on the inside. And they have to come. They have to be the ones to open up to Jesus. And such a, such a beautiful picture. But that's what happens. We're inviting people in evangelism, or anytime you share Christ with people, you're inviting them to open up the door and let the person of love in. So Jesus came and he displayed radical love towards us and radical love is offensive. I don't know if you've noticed. It's not the kind of love that the world talks about that says anything goes and there's no boundaries. No, but the real love of Christ, it's it is offensive. It's what put him it's one of the reasons he was killed. It offends the political spirit, it offends the religious spirit. Real love is offensive. And Jesus doesn't just want you to know about his radical love. He wants you to experience it. So I want to share three stories with you from Scripture. The first one I want to share with you is is the prodigal son story. So I want to start by saying this. Jesus never called this story the prodigal son story. That's something that we've called it just traditionally. It's become known as the prodigal son story. So when they print Bibles, they'll even put prodigal son story. But that's not what Jesus called it. That's what we've called it traditionally. I think a better name for this story is uh, the radical love of the father. I think that's a good story because it puts the focus on this is who the father is. And this is a story about his unbelievable, amazing, radical love. And and then even when we listen to this story, we're thinking about this is a story about God. It's not so much a story about a wayward son or two wayward sons. It's a story about the love of a radical father, our God. So a man had two sons and one son goes and asks for his inheritance early. And this would be a huge insult in this culture, in this day and time. This, This would be as if to say, dad, I wish you were dead so I could just take the money and cash out huge insult to ask for your inheritance. you get your inheritance when someone dies. so to ask for it early was a huge insult and he asked for his inheritance and the dad does something that doesn't make sense to our brain he he actually gave him his inheritance. he gave him what he asked for so he he takes his money and he goes off and he lives uh, wild living you know there's all kinds of different translations that save things, you know like wild living and you know um, I'm trying to think of another one that Riotous living, that's the one. Riotous living. So I always think of like Las Vegas when I read that part. (laughs) Like, You know, that saying that says, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What a huge lie. (laughs) Whatever happens in Vegas is coming home with you. (laughs) You know, the money that you lose in Vegas, it doesn't magically appear back in your bank account when you cross the Nevada state line. Whatever you do in Vegas, it's coming home with you. What a huge lie of the enemy. So he does, he goes and he lives this riotous living, and uh, the money runs out, the friends go away, and he finds himself feeding pigs because that 's the only job he could get and he 's staring at the pig food, and he 's like, "Wow, that looks really good right now because i 'm starving he 's looking at the pig food and he 's thinking i 'm so starving and he has an an epiphany. this is probably the best thought that he 'd had in months or years. This is probably the only good thought he'd had in a long time. <laughs> and it was this. He's like, my father's servants are are treated better than the way I'm being treated right now. My father's servants are doing way better. They're doing better than I'm doing right now. And he he says, you know, he, he starts to rehearse, how many times have we done this in our life? We start to rehearse this speech, our repentance speech, you know? And he says, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say father. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but just make me a, as one of your hired servants. And at this point, he doesn't even consider himself a son anymore because think of his thought process. We get let in on his thought process. He didn't consider himself a son. He's like, I'm not worthy to be a son, but maybe my dad will make me a hired servant. And he maybe doesn't even know if his dad's going to let him be a servant. So he goes, and <clears throat> I love this portion of this story, while he was a, a far way off, The father saw him and ran to him. What does that tell me? That tells me that his father was watching for him. His father was watching. His father believed that he would come back. The father believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. And he believed, no matter where we're at, he is watching and waiting. He believes that we're coming back. He has so much hope for us. He sees the greatness in us. He believes the best for us. And he's, he's, his hope level and his expectation level for us is really high. It's higher than we ever, he, he overestimates us. Or, or maybe I should say he estimates us correctly and we underestimate us. <laughs> So he was watching for the son to come back, and he runs to him. He runs to him. He embraces him. If you read the, if you read the part where, he's, where he says, this is my thought of what I'm going to say, and then you read what he actually said, he doesn't actually get his whole speech out because I think he's just overwhelmed. He doesn't get to some of the parts he was going to get to. He's just overwhelmed. The father embraces him. The father kisses him. The father wraps the best robe in the house around him. Whose robe would that be? the Father's robe. This is important because that's the robe of righteousness, that when we say yes to Jesus, the Father wraps us in his righteousness. We become righteous because of what Jesus did, and we're wrapped in that robe of righteousness. Don't depend on your righteousness. You're fully wrapped in God's righteousness. You're you're cheapening your experience with God when you're trying to depend on your righteousness, what you've done right, when you're wrapped in the robe of righteousness. You're wrapped in his righteousness. He puts the ring on his finger. Dakota talked about the the signet ring this morning. Was that Dakota? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Julie. Sorry. Julie. Dakota's taking credit for it, though. (laughs) Julie talked about this signet ring. He puts this, the ring on his finger. It would have been a signet ring. This is like the family credit card. How many would give that guy the family credit card? I probably, I wouldn't. He gives, yeah, how good is our God? He gives him, it's like giving him the, the family credit card. Everything that I have, you have access to through this signet ring. Puts this ring on his finger, puts shoes on his feet, and then he invites him. He says, we're going to party. We're gonna feast, kill the fatted calf. And the the Bible says there was singing, there was dancing, there was joy. There's this feast. And I think he had a revelation at this moment. He's like, Man, I thought the party was in Vegas when the party was here the whole time. So he went searching for life and he found death. And then he realized, Well, the party was home the whole time, it was here with the Father. (laughs) It's with the Father. I think that day he was just hit. He was like, what is going on? Like, he's just sitting there being celebrated. And he's like, this doesn't make sense to me. This is radical love. I think he got hit that day with the radical love of the father. He's like, I'm overwhelmed. This is overwhelming. This is, I, I, I was thinking maybe I could just be a servant. So what do we learn from this story? We learn God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional. It wasn't based on what he did because he did everything wrong. It is based on that he was a son. He was a son. The father loved him because he was a son, not because of what he'd done. We learn that God's love is unconditional. And by the way, this story is about you. This story is about me. No, no matter if you're the older brother in the story or if you're the younger brother, the you know, older brother, he kind of had other issues. He had a religious spirit. He wasn't able to celebrate his brother. <clears throat> and the father said to him, by the way, like what he said to the older brother is amazing too. He's like, son, everything I have is yours. It's all yours. He's like, You've never thrown me a party. He's like, The whole farm is yours. Throw yourself a party anytime you want. What do we learn from this story? God's love never gives up hope for us. He was watching and waiting. He was hoping and believing the best. He's like, he's a good boy. He's coming back. I know he is, and I'm going to watch and wait for him. We also learn God celebrates us when we turn to him. He celebrates us. Doesn't matter how far gone we are. The second we turn to him, he celebrates us. And throwing a party. I love Steve Backlin has a great quote. He said, Religion only celebrates perfection, but God celebrates progress. I believe when we take one step towards God, he throws a party. It's like, whoa, he used to always, when that situation would happen, he would always go this way. But this time he, he, he did this. He took one step in the other direction. Let's throw a party. <laughs> Wow, when that situation would happen, he was always discouraged for two weeks. This time he was only discouraged for one week. Let's throw a party. (laughs) God celebrates progress, not perfection. The second story that I want to share with you is the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. This might be my favorite story in the whole Bible. So we, we just talked about a story that demonstrate demonstrated the radical love of Father God. This story demonstrates the radical love of the Father God through Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus isn't just a little bit nicer than God. God's kind of he's a little more hard. He's he's a little more strict. In Hebrews, it says, Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. So everything that Jesus did and the love that he walked in, he was a perfect reflection of Father God. So this is another story about the radical love of the Father displayed through the Son. This woman is, is caught in the act of adultery and she's brought before Jesus. So the first question I have is, where was the man? She's caught in the act of adultery. So where's the man in this scenario? Why was only she brought before Jesus? Some people even believe that she was set up and they let the guy go because it was just the whole thing was a setup to try to trick Jesus. So they bring this woman, they throw her before Jesus' feet, they they say you know jesus it says in our law that we have to stone this woman she's caught in the act of adultery but what do you say and he bends down and he writes in the sand and one of the first questions i want to ask jesus is after after i get done you know just you know giving him a big hug <laughs> and just being undone after that whatever that looks like i want to ask him what did you write in the sand because we really don't know some people surmise that he was writing the sins of the men that were, were standing there, but we really don't know. And he writes in the sand and the Bible says he straightens up and he says, let you who have no sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away until it was just Jesus and this woman. And I love the, the question he asked. He says, woman, where are your accusers? where are those who condemned you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, when he said, where are your accusers? She could have said this, Jesus, you've driven them all away. You've driven them away. Sometimes we get confused as Christians, and I have have so much compassion for it because I get confused too. Sometimes we think God is the accuser. We think God is, his job is to accuse us of our sin. When he actually drives away the accusation, he drives away the accuser. The word Satan means accuser of the brethren. Let's not get confused and and call God the accuser when he's driving away the accusation. Look what he does in this story. He's perfectly gracious. He brings compassion. He brings love. He doesn't accuse. And at the same time, he doesn't, um, he doesn't justify our sin. He doesn't say that sin's okay. Jesus is amazing. He who comes in with grace. He comes in with love. He, he doesn't accuse us. He doesn't condemn us. And at the same time, he doesn't justify our sinful behavior. But he empowers us, real love empowers us to leave sin behind. I believe she just got hit. Just like that day where that uh, the prodigal son got hit. He's in this party and he's like, this is overwhelming. She got hit that day. She was, she was thinking, I'm dead. You imagine the scene. She's probably being drugged probably because she knows she's about to die. She was probably weeping. She was probably beside herself. She was probably so ashamed. And instead of coming to her death, Jesus, the son of God himself, gives grace and loves on her and drives away the, con- the condemners. I believe that empowered her to do what he asked. He said, go and sin no more. See, once we encounter sin, like, you'll lose your taste for Or when we, what did I say that right? Once we encounter Jesus's love, you'll lose your taste for sin. Sin has no longer any, like, pull for you. The more you encounter God's love, you're like, man, this is what I really want. That thing I've been doing, that, that is death. This is, I want, this is what I've really wanted. I wanted this life. God's love doesn't condemn us or accuse us if you are in Christ, but his love drives away the accusers. His love drives away condemnation, and his love is what actually sets us free. So, what do we learn from this story? God doesn't accuse us; doesn't accuse us. He had every who is the one person. Remember the question he asked: "He who's without sin casts the first stone." Who is the one person without sin? The one person that had the right to throw the stone showed grace, showed mercy. God doesn't accuse us. His love drives out every accusation against you. Romans 8:33 says this. This is this is really powerful. Just if you can wrap your brain around this scripture and just some of you need to just meditate on this. This is the Pastor Daniel translation. If you, look at, if you look at it in all the different translations, this is exactly what it's saying, but this, there's not a, the way I'm going to say it is not exactly the way it's translated in any translation, but this is what it's saying. It says this, who could possibly accuse you when it's God himself who has justified you? Who could possibly accuse you when it's God himself who says you're justified because of the blood of Jesus? That's powerful. What else do we learn from this story? God's love doesn't excuse sin. It empowers righteousness. He he didn't excuse her sin, but he actually empowered her to leave her sin behind. And this is what he does for us. We think that meditating on our sin is going to set us free from sin. It doesn't work. We're dead to sin or alive to righteousness. When we meditate on, on the love of the Father, when we receive the love of the Father, sin becomes less and less of an issue. That's why we don't preach about, a ton about sin. We preach about the love of the Father because that's actually what sets you free from sin. So I don't have to give you 10 ways to get free from sin and just talk about the love of the Father. <laughs> Amen. We have God's righteousness paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. I talked about it a second ago. Don't rely on your righteousness. Don't rely on your righteousness for salvation. Don't rely on your righteousness for God's favor. I love a uh, Georgian Banov that was here uh, a couple months ago. He has that book, Joy. Uh, I don't know how many of you are reading that book or read that book. Yeah, I know. I know we, he sold a lot when we were here. So about a few of you are reading it, and I, I love the part in the book. Um, I'm still somewhere in the middle of it, but um, where he talks about his holiness checklist. Anybody remember that? He said he had a, a holiness checklist, and I don't know if this was an actual checklist or if it was just a mental checklist, but he's like, you know, when he first became a Christian, he's like, well, I do this, and, you know, I, I pray, I read my Bible, I, I take communion, and he had these activities he did, which are all good things, right? But it but it was this checklist, and he, and he thought, like, if I do these things, I'm holy because of the, the activities that I'm doing. And one day he was reading Romans chapter six, verse 11, and he was reading the King James. And in the King James, it says, um, therefore, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, reckon yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ and our Lord. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Georgian, holiness doesn't come from your checklist. Said, Georgian, holiness comes from reckoning reckoning yourself to be dead to sin. See, Jesus is the holy one. We don't become holy by religious activity. We come holy by accepting Jesus Christ and beholding him. We are holy because we're in Christ. I think there's a lot of bad teaching about holiness, honestly, that gets people in this mindset of I have to do this and this and this and this, and then I'll be, I'll be holy when Jesus already said you're Holy. You are holy because you're in Christ. Georgian, holiness doesn't come from your checklist. It comes from reckoning, reckoning yourself to be dead to sin. If you're dead to sin, you're alive to Christ. You're holy. End of story. What you believe is more important than what you do. What God's doing in you is more important than what he's doing through you. How many know you can be doing the right thing but have the wrong heart? So God's more concerned with, with what's going on in your heart than what you're doing on the, on the outward motive. It's like a child that does the right thing um, out of fear of punishment. But they don't really have a value for doing the right thing. They're just doing it because they don't want to get punished. This, we can do this as Christians. Well, I don't do that because God said not to? God's more concerned with what we believe and what's happening in our hearts. So then we will, do, we will do good works, but it's out of good beliefs, not out of fear of punishment. Okay, the last story I want to share with you today is about Peter. I love Peter. How many love Peter? I, I relate to Peter. A lot. How many relate to Peter? We got some Peters in the house. <laughs> I love Peter. I relate to him. Yeah. The last story I want to share is about him at the Last Supper. At the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples, Jesus is telling them that his time has come and that he's about to be betrayed and handed over. And I I love it again. Peter stands up and he declares boldly, Lord, I am willing to go to prison with you and to die with you. And I believe he meant it with all his heart. Lord, I am willing to die with you. I would never betray you. I'll die with you right now. Jesus tells him, Peter, before the day is over, you're going to deny me three times. And we know that exactly as Jesus predicted, Peter, while standing around a fire to warm himself, denies knowing Jesus three times, just a few hours after Jesus told him he would. And at just a few hours after he said, Lord, I'm willing to go to prison with you. I'm willing to die with you. The Bible says that Peter, after he denied Jesus three times, he went away and he wept bitterly. In the Amplified Bible, it says this, deeply grieved and distressed, Peter wept bitterly. Deeply grieved and distressed, Peter wept bitterly. I believe that in that moment, a wound of shame and guilt came into Peter's heart. There's, if you read between the lines in scripture, you could make a case to, to say that he didn't really consider himself a disciple anymore at that point. He's like, I've blown it. I'm too far gone. I'm just going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to fishing. It's one of the reasons people think Jesus said, Hey, go get the disciples and Peter, because Jesus knew he didn't even consider himself a disciple anymore. It's like, make sure you know Peter's included when I say, Go get all the disciples. He went away and he wept bitterly, deeply grieved. I believe that a wound of shame and guilt came into his heart at that moment. There's so many of us that we've had things happen to our heart in our lives, maybe where we feel like we've failed really bad and a wound of, of shame came in and guilt. Like, see, this is just evidence that I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I, I'm not performing well enough. I'm not enough. And I believe Peter thought that I'm not enough. I can't, this is, I, I, I thought I could do this. I can't do it. Like, I'm just going to go back to fishing. The sound of a rooster crowing was probably a sound that Peter never wanted to hear again. How many have experienced, like, something in life that's, like, it's not, not really a big deal, but it's, like, you're around someone and something happens and they, they kind of have a, a big reaction to it? Like a dog barks and they're, like, really scared or something. And it's like they're reacting to a traumatic event that happened. So I I imagine like Peter, he like never, ever, ever wanted to hear a rooster crow again. That was like the sound of trauma for him because of what he'd, he'd been through. So Jesus interacts with Peter in John chapter 21. And this is after the resurrection. And I want to read out of the the Passion translation. So this is John. If you want to follow along, John twenty one. I'm going to read fifteen through nineteen. Reading out of the Passion. Verse 15 says, after they had breakfast, this is, this is the context here is this is where they see Jesus on the shore. And he says, the second time, cast your nets the other side. And they don't realize it's Jesus. And then another fish miracle, 153 fish in the nets. And then G, or Peter jumps in. He dives into the water and he swims, and then Jesus is on shore, and he has this fire prepared, and he says, bring some of the fish you caught, and Jesus is making them breakfast. Imagine just Jesus making you breakfast. He's just making breakfast for the disciples. It says, after they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, listen to what he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you burn with love for me? you burn with love for me more than these? Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know that I have great affection for you. When he, I read the footnotes in the Passion, and he's like, this word that they use here, it's like burning love. It's like burning love like your heart burns with passion. do you burn with love for me? Yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated his question a second time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of Jonah, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked a third time and said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Then Jesus says this, Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices. And you went where you pleased, but one day when you are old, others will tie you up and escort you where you would not choose to go, and you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this, to, said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said, Peter, follow me. What do we learn from this story? We learn this, the love of God restores us. Peter needed to be restored. This is part of this whole thing that Jesus set up is he was using this opportunity to restore Peter. Why? Because he loved Peter and he loved Peter's heart and he didn't want him to be in this traumatic state of of feeling shame, feeling guilt. He wanted to restore Peter. He wanted to pull him out of that and reestablish him as a disciple, as a follower of Christ. Says, Peter, follow me. I believe Peter had a deep wound from denying Christ. He thought he would never, ever do that. And he did what he thought he would never do. And Jesus uses this moment to restore him. Peter denied Christ three times while standing around a fire. Now gathered around a fire that Jesus built, Jesus lovingly restores him. In this passage, Jesus calls Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, What's Jonah known for? Jonah was the prophet who ran from his calling, but was supernaturally restored. So Peter had followed Jonah's example by denying Jesus and running away, yet Jesus now stood before him to fully restore him and to heal his heart. This is from the footnotes of the Passion Translation. It says this, three times Peter denied Jesus But three times he made his confession of his deep love for Christ. By the third time, the crowing rooster inside of Peter had been silenced. That sound that would have been traumatic for the rest of his life just got healed. He's like, oh, it's back to just a rooster crowing. (laughs) It's It's not a sound of trauma. Many of you have experienced things like this. Jesus Knows exactly how to heal us from the guilt and shame of our past mistakes and our past life. And he wants to heal us. He wants to come in. You know, I could I could take some time and, and talk about Jesus and his inner healing, but, you know, I won't take the time to do that this morning, but whether it's through a sozo, whether it's through just like fellowship and community, whether it's just like you get zapped in a moment, it's like Jesus knows exactly how to heal you, and he wants to heal you. He doesn't want you to live with wounds of pain, of rejection, of anger, of whatever it is, of of this guilt inside. He wants to restore you completely, and this is what he does with Peter. Again, this message is about transformational love. Jesus just loved Peter in a way that transformed him and marked him forever. Jesus loved Peter so much that he didn't want him to live with shame and guilt of that moment. So Jesus has this moment with Peter that brings healing from all the trauma and all the pain. The last last thing that I really love about this exchange with Jesus and Peter is this. Jesus told Peter, When you were young, you went where you wanted to go. But when you were older, you're going to go where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. This is what's interesting to me. In that moment, in that last supper before Jesus gets crucified, and Peter stands up and he says, Jesus, I'll go to prison with you. I'll die for you. Jesus knew that's actually true. He didn't say that's not true. He's like, he is going to go to prison for me. He is going to die for me. He never said that wasn't true. He said, he said, before the night's over, you're gonna deny me three times. And so I love this exchange with, with Jesus and Peter where he's like, he's basically telling him, you are gonna die for me. I believe these guys, were, these, these guys were excited to die for Jesus. Especially, I think they were so inspired after they saw Jesus die and they thought it was over and then he's back. And they're like, oh, there's no fear in death anymore. <laughs> like, I I honestly believe, I I think, you know, there was 12 disciples, um, Judas and John are the only ones that weren't martyred, they're all martyred, why were they martyred, because, why were they just so willing to just give their life for Jesus, because they had been marked by a transformational love, radical love of the Father, and I, I believe they lost their fear of death, are just like, we live for Jesus. If we die, we die. We're not afraid of death. Our Savior died and he, he came back. Why would we fear death? I believe this statement to, to Peter on the fire where he, where he says, you know, you go, you know, when you were young, you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you're, you're going to go where you don't want to go. I believe it was the last puzzle piece that Jesus used to restore Peter. God's love is a transformational love, and it really is this good. I just want to tell you, like, these stories in particular, those of you who have children or you're teaching children, these are the stories you need to tell regularly. These are the stories that our kids need to know. Like, this is who God is, this prodigal son story. This is, this is a story about God. Let me tell you a story about God. This is who God is. Tell these stories to your kids, and if they have this foundation of knowing who God is, how good he is, how amazing he is, they won't be easily led astray, because they'll come across religion, and they'll be like, that's not my God. No, that doesn't match up. That doesn't match up with who I know my God to be. They won't be easily led astray. Go ahead and stand. I'm just going to pray for you. Ministry team, would you come forward? I just believe, I felt it in worship. I just believe that God just wants everybody to know. It sounds so simple, but I just believe God really wants you to know how deeply he cares for you and loves you. These stories are all about you. These stories are all about me. And God wants you to know how much he loves you individually, but he also wants you to encounter it. He wants you to have love experiences. I've had two, like, radical love encounters. And I remember in the first love encounter I had, I just, one of the revelations I had was, wow, everything I worry about is nothing. Because in that experience, I just, everything I would usually worry about, I'm like, I felt so cared for, so loved, so protected. So it, it it just trumped all those things completely to where nothing was really a concern. Yeah, let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your radical love. We thank you, Father, for the radical love that you have for us. We thank you that your love doesn't condemn us. It doesn't accuse us. We thank you that your love restores us. We thank you that your love celebrates us. Your love celebrates us. We thank you that your love, it's beyond what we can imagine or think. It's so much better than we can even imagine. But Lord, we want a deeper revelation. I just believe that you want to give us a deeper revelation of your love. God, that love that comes and it breaks the lie of shame. That love that comes and it breaks those traumatic events from the past. It heals those things that love that once we experience it, we're like, wow, all the things I worry about, they're really nothing because I'm so held in God's hands. So God, I just pray for love encounters. I've received love encounters freely. I receive freely, I give. I just impart love encounters. I just pray that you'd have dreams about the Father's love. I pray that he would just stop you just in your tracks and you would encounter the love of the Father. Just thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen.